From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. Of course, with us, our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, and our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl. Mm-hmm. Al Ramsey with us as well. Uh, so good you could be with us. And a special greeting to those of you joining us around the world. And, in fact, we had an, another listener pop up, Elaine. And Where this time? I, I can't even pronounce it. Uh-oh, one of those. No, yeah. But <laughs> that it happens was, a uh, lot. It does. Uh, and just absolutely incredible how many new people we have. And uh, about 150 people a day now listening oh, to the broadcast oh, over uh, uh, the International Podcasting Network. And so good to have you with mm-hmm. us. Uh, special guest tonight, and, you know, this is when you talk about uh, John 17 and the body of Christ working together mm-hmm. and really influencing the community in a positive way. That's what tonight is all about. Reuben Imperial is with us, and yes. we're going to be talking about that. And, and you've got a wonderful thing coming up in your life here. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Tell us about that <laughs> real quick. I'm, I'm engaged to be married on yeah. June 21st. Amen to that. Uh, congratulations. Yes. It's, all, and you it's, become... all, it's all about the countdown. I think it's yeah. like 40-something days. <laughs> Amen to that. Congratulations. Well, friends, before we uh, go on, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with a stunning quote from another real life Jesus freak. John, who wrote five books of the New Testament including one of the Gospels and Revelation, was quite a teacher too. One of his students, Ignatius, learned his lessons well because his life, his death, and his words continued to inspire those who study the early days of the church. Before he was devoured by wild animals at the hands of Roman authorities, Ignatius said this, My dear Jesus, my Savior, is so deeply written in my heart that I feel confident that if my heart were to be cut open and chopped to pieces, the name of Jesus would be found written on every piece. For inspiration from real-life martyrs, go online to persecution.com. You know, they never they, they say that the church is never more powerful than when it's being persecuted. My goodness. And uh, what, what a story. Indeed. You know, and we, we know we're so blessed here uh, in the United States of America, at the moment anyway, with the freedoms that we have and uh, just... Uh, um, pause to thank God for that and, and also uh, to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. By the way, I uh, want to issue a, um, a challenge to you who are listening to the program, and we're going to kind of do a, a promo here quickly for next week. There is a book out called The Shack. Yeah. It is not about Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> no. No. It is about a shack. And uh, we, <laughs> next week, uh, Dr. Jim Hinman 
uh, will be here, not not to psychoanalyze me, which is, <laughs> which is unusual. <laughs> may, no. may be needed, but uh, that's not his you purpose. You never know. You never, <laughs> you never know. But we, we, <laughs> a special collection. Mr. Al says a special yeah. collection yeah. taken. Instead of so sending this me to could camp, be a double challenge. <laughs> send me to the psych. Okay, fine. I gotta thank you, this Mr. Predecessor. Yeah, thank you very much. Show. Thank you. Uh, anyway, was, oh, yeah, so we encourage you. Were you trying <laughs> yeah, to go somewhere? <laughs> I was. If you happen to be able to do that and pick up a copy of The Shack, and what we'd ask you to do is remember that this is a piece of fiction, mm. and it's a wonderful novel, and, and we encourage you to read it. Next week we're going to discuss it in detail. We'll remind you that again uh, of you uh, at the end of the broadcast. Again, the book is called The Shack. And uh, look forward to talking about that next week. Bookstore near you. Well, we also want to remind you that coming up this weekend, we had the the wonderful opportunity to visit with our good friend Dave Benton at Celebration Radio 101.5 KAMB. And uh, we also had the extreme pleasure of being interviewed. And that interview is coming up this coming weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, Dave uh, was just so gracious as he interviewed uh, on his um, Inside Look is the name of his um, of his uh, piece, his program. And he uh, uh, was so wonderful to interview all about uh, advancing vibrant communities. And he interviewed uh, Pastor Mike and myself and took a look at ABC. There, there go his rating. <laughs> <laughs> and you can uh, you can uh, preview that interview uh, Saturday at 6.50 p.m. and again at Sunday at 1.50 p.m. in the afternoon. That wasn't 6.50 a.m. Well, that wouldn't have been very good for you. But they're on (laughs) FM anyway, right? That's right. So anyway, you can catch that again at Saturday, 6.50 p.m. and Sunday at 1.50 p.m. And while we're on the subject of uh, 101.5 KAMB Celebration Radio needs volunteers on May 21st and 22nd, uh, that's a Wednesday and a Thursday from 6 a.m. That's <laughs> that's early in the morning for some people. From 6 a to 7 p.m. each day on those two days uh, during their friend raiser. I love that they're having a friend raiser. Isn't that cool? Uh, to answer phones, they need volunteers. That's you and me to answer phones. Now, if you're interested in donating whatever time you may have uh, available and wish to serve in this way, uh, you can please call and jot this number down if you have a pencil or pen handy. One eight hundred doesn't cost you a thing. One eight hundred six nine five seven 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 again that's one eight hundred six nine two five seven 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 it's on our website at www.vibrantcommunities.org that's www.vibrantcommunities.org click on to the daily update uh, portion and uh, just scroll down and all of that information is there for you if you care to uh and, and you don't have that. to volunteer that whole time. No, whatever. You have yeah, you don't hour. have to do the twelve-hour thing. Not you can at all. But if you want f- to, you hey, could. I would love that. Yeah, you could do a, just a few hours if you want. But they, they'd appreciate so your help. You and they're what what good folks That's, oh, down there. We appreciate wonderful. them very wonderful much. Wonderful time, and that would be a great thing. Some other um, items that you might consider for volunteering are with the American Red Cross. They are looking for adopt a poll. That's what they're calling it. Stand up and be counted in the June third elections. Volunteer. 
volunteers are needed to work the voter registration polls on Tuesday, June 3rd, as part of the Stanislaw County uh, Elections Office Adopt a Poll Program. Shifts are available at locations in Ceres, Modesto, Patterson, and Riverbank. Uh, Spanish-speaking volunteers are especially encouraged to participate. Pre-registration is required through the Red Cross office. Volunteers must be at least 18 uh, years of age and be re, uh, registered to vote. Your participation will help raise officially uh, needed funds for the local Red Cross Save a Family Emergency. That's the SAFE Fund. And the SAFE Fund helps locally uh, in three ways uh, for local families and individuals to have food, lodging, and clothing after a house fire or flood uh, to provide emergency communication between family and their loved ones in the military and support CPR first aid training. Uh, to, for scholarship program and to help low-income individuals secure or retain employment. Very good thing. Bethany Christian Services for uh, getting ready for their annual spring breakfast, and that's always a, a good time to be had. This is going to be held May, uh, Saturday, May 17th. That's coming up this weekend uh, at the Big Valley Grace Community Church. Um, this is an inspiration and, uh, inspirational and uplifting event, providing an opportunity to all to learn about Bethany's services, uh, including the pregnancy counseling that they offer, adoption counseling, uh, Bethany's House, which just is a great thing, international adoption and orphan care. Volunteers, okay, here we go, are needed to help out with the setup and decorations on Friday, uh, May 16th. That's coming up in just a few days uh, between 4 and 7 uh, p.m. and the day of the event uh, from 7 to 11, and to help prepare and serve the breakfast and then help with the cleanup. So uh, they would like for you to be 16 years of age to volunteer. They'd like for you also wear to dress in black slacks and a white shirt. And uh, Bethany Christian Services is a Christian ministry, a non-for-profit, and they provide adoption uh, and family services. And if you have any questions on this, uh, call Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113, 209-524-1307, extension 113. And uh, also, uh, some needs here within the ABC round too. Family just receiving keys to their house after being homeless. Can you mm. imagine how excited they are? Awesome. They really, really are. I've talked to them. They need a little help, though, in the way of furnishings. So if you have any donations that you'd like to bless this family with, such as twin beds, kitchen table with chairs, or a refrigerator, please give us a call here at 209-544-9571, and we will connect the opportunity uh, to serve and bless them and bless your socks off as well. So and just a reminder on that, by the way, uh, friends, we really want you to make sure that when you donate items like that, that they're in the kind of condition that you would oh, like to receive them. Please, please, you know, please. If, if Jesus Christ showed up at your door with a couch, what kind of condition would you want that couch to be in? You know, you don't you want know, it to have fleas or anything like that. And, and we're not kidding. No, I mean, we, some serious. people have donated, you know, crawly things coming out of And we just can't take <laughs> no, those. No, no, no. You know, but, you know, really, remember, you're, what, what you're doing is, is you are reflecting the, the grace and the mercy and the love of, and compassion of Jesus Christ to that person by donating the furniture. So let's make sure that when we donate, you know, that furniture reflects mm. uh, the love of Christ there and uh, just appreciate your conscientiousness Absolutely. in that regard. You bet. You know, when we... Besides, I ran out of flea spray for those things. <laughs> you don't want fast the <clears> mic <throat> little jumpy dudes or, for fleas. Yeah, no. Hand <laughs> 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 <And> grenade bombs. <laughs> okay. You know, when we attend uh, weed and seed meetings or various other meetings out 
in the community, and we run across some really awesome people out there. Uh, some great things take place. Not only do we meet new partners out there and stuff, but we just never know who we might run into. And, and such is the, the thing uh, that's happened here with our guest tonight, Ruben Imperial. And we just not only did we find out that you are engaged, Ruben, and congratulations for that, but we just have met a great new friend. And welcome to the show tonight. We just, thank you for having me. Oh, Appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining us. You come with a wealth of information. It, what a great addition to this community. Now, let me see if I get your title right. You are Public Information Officer for the Behavioral Health and Recovery Services, plus a whole lot more. Also, also I oversee the prevention service, uh, the pre- prevention services for our program as well. So. Well, that's a terrific thing indeed. And in today's economic world, if you're working for government, you wear several hats. Right? Exactly. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's the logic behind that. So <laughs> that that's that's where I'm at right now. So we'll see what happens after the next year. If there's anything <laughs> okay. else that when we <laughs> met you at the weed and seed meeting, uh, which a lot of people were there, you brought with you some very sobering statistics at a time when, you know, we're trying to work with the west side of Modesto to beautify that area where there's a lot of uh, gang violence going on and a lot of uh, young people using alcohol and drugs and just a lot of really negative things going on. But you brought with you some things that really ought to alarm and concern, you know, parents and grandparents and citizens. Let's talk about some of those things and, and talk about maybe the flip side of those things as well. Well, well, you know, what I did bring to the meeting was was the awareness that in our county there is uh, a problem with underage drinking. Mm. And uh, there is some statistics and there are some some numbers that we have that highlight that problem within our community. But um, well, first and foremost, we, we did have a community planning process that occurred in 2007. We got a variety of people um, in a room and we talked about these things, um, about what are the major concerns in our county. And uh, of all the substance abuse issues, of all the issues that, that, are, that we face as county agencies, law enforcement, so on and so forth, um, underage drinking was the primary concern. Um, and second was uh, methamphetamine abuse. And third was older adult um, substance abuse as well. We have a baby boomer generation that um, has used illicit drugs in ways that have, uh, at rates and at numbers that have we've never seen. Um, right now in the older adult population, you take a sample shot right now, it's, rates vary from 27 to 33 percent of the older adults right now, 55 and older, um, have used illicit drugs in their lifetime. Now take that, the baby boomer generation that's going to be retiring, it's up around 47, almost 50% of of them have used illicit drugs. Mm. So there's some interesting things that we're talking about in terms of the older adult substance abuse issues and how we're looking at prevention and how we're looking at some education for that, for them folks as they, as they retire. Uh, We want to make sure we're prepared um, in terms of looking at a preventative way. Um, In terms of the methamphetamine problem in our county, um, one of the strategies that was selected was to form a methamphetamine task force. And this task force is chaired by um, Sheriff Adam Christensen Mm -hmm. and the Director of um, Behavioral Health and Recovery Services, Denise Hunt. And the idea around that is to really look at the problem of methamphetamine in our community. To look at this, to find the statistics, to find the numbers, to do a little bit of some research, to really understand how it is a problem. We know it's a problem in a variety of ways. For instance, in uh, methamphetamine treatment um, episodes in our methamphetamine. Um, Instead of me put it this way, I'm using my professional language, treatment episodes. I'm <laughs> aware most people know what a treatment episode is. But um, of of the clients that that we treat in our um, our alcohol and drug programs. Um, 68%, 65% of them are, are there because of a methamphetamine problem. 
Um, so we know in terms of people accessing treatment services that it's a big problem for us. We, it's the majority of what we're dealing with. Um, you talk to law enforcement, and you talk to law enforcement, though, and they'll say, well, methamphetamine is, is one of the major problems that we're dealing with. But, um, and we ask them, well, how is it a problem? Well, we have one of the highest grand theft auto rates in the nation. We're about, we were one for a while. Now we're down three or four, and they've done some great job. But it says, you know, 80% of the individuals that we pick up for these auto thefts, they're either trying to find meth or, or, or go and get meth or they're under meth. And so we see it there. Um, Sheriff Christensen says, you know, we have a domestic violence problem in our community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. methamphetamine and drug abuse is a major um, variable or a major problem along that lines as well. Um, you talk to the folks out of community service agencies, these people that deal with, with families um, in crisis. And they're the child, child protective custody folks. These people are talking about 80% of the people that they're dealing with and taking away these kids are drug-endangered kids. And methamphetamine, again, they're is a major problem. So when we look at this, actually I want to mention one more thing in terms of the high school population. Right Right now in in terms of high school, methamphetamine is not a major problem. It's about 2 or 3% of our our high school population is used methamphetamine. Now now statistically, um, you know, that's that's a pretty low number. But but you wouldn't, I mean, if you think about, you know, kids using methamphetamine, if they start to use methamphetamine, they're not going to be in school, you know, long enough to answer that survey next time it comes around. So what we're, we're, we're worried about is that these kids are, are we're not picking up at, at that level because there's nowhere to ask them. That number's gone down, hasn't it? Really? And it has yes. gone down. Actually, it's gone down nationwide. Yeah. We're not really sure yet in our county or in our area how methamphetamine um, has risen or declined. Um, and the reason is because we really have not really had that intense effort to really know it. So that's what's the first goal of the task force is, is to start measuring it. We've um, already completed our, our initial draft of what we call the meth indicator report for our county. And it's a list of about 10 to 12 things that we're going to begin to track every year so that every year we have these county um, agency directors. We're going to be inviting the community um, groups in as well and, and faith-based community. And we're going to go over this report every year. And we're going to be looking at the meth problem and saying, well, this is what's the problem. This is how it is a problem here. Um, what are we doing to address it? So. Um, that's what we're doing along the lines with meth. It's going to be a community-based approach. But first and foremost, for the for the for the efforts that are going on now, it's basically data collection, trying to really understand the problem here. Because, you know, again, there's there's only a few ways and a few places that we're able to track it. That is through our treatment data. Um, when you ask law enforcement, though, it's a major problem. But you know, it, it really doesn't show up because they arrest them for the higher order crime. They don't right. arrest them mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. just for having the little bit of meth that mm-hmm. they're on. You know, they end up for the grand theft auto. Um, interestingly enough, I, I went out to the coroner's office a few months ago and I went through the death book. And if you ever, um, if you ever want to, um, if you're ever having a bad day and you feel that um, that your life is just, you know you know, really, really in the, in the bucket, um, go down to the coroner's office, open up the death book and look oh, at the right. hundreds of people that have died and um, some of the things that, that they've died from. And I've gone through the book personally just as, a, as, as part of looking at this problem. And, you know, you, you look at the death book and people were shot, but they're under the influence of meth. Um, people wrecked and they're under the influence of meth. So we're trying to get a handle on how meth is a problem bring it to the table so we can start making some decisions as county agencies in the community to strategically address this problem, utilizing, first and foremost, the strengths of our community, those things that are already working out there, how can we enhance them, especially within the faith-based community. Um, talk to the many of the people that leave our treatment programs. Um, they go, they're going to church for their um, aftercare services. They're going to church um, for their support group, you know, things like Celebrate Recovery and God's Way Out. And we hear them saying, hey, well, you know, when they get out of our treatment programs, they're going to the church. So, again, in the faith-based community is another 
big community asset in our in our in our community in terms of helping people through their recovery process. So it's a fascinating study, isn't it? Oh yes, these are these are very exciting things. This is um, why I, I am uh, more than happy to come out and talk to folks within the faith-based community about um, the ways that we see their efforts um, in in the people that we're dealing with and and how to better build that relationship so that um, when our folks are going through our treatment programs, um, we have an understanding of when they go to the faith-based community for their support, how we can, can better equip them on our end so that when they leave, they, they have a good sense of what to expect out there and, again, work with our faithful, faith-based community so they have a better understanding of what to expect when they, when they have someone coming out of our treatment programs and, and the things that we tell them and, and how we've been able to help them for four, five, six, sometimes a year and how they can best integrate into their local um, church support group. So. You know, that, that partnership is so necessary. You know, and, and part of our responsibility on the faith-based side is to receive the people coming out of treatment and uh, then to be able to track with them and be knowledgeable about what kind of services you provide, what kind of services that may be provided within that particular church. So there's a lot of, uh, I, I see the need for some relationship building, oh, yes. you know, right, uh, between the county and the, and the faith-based community so that we can partner together uh, exactly. better. And we were talking before the show about the fact that, you know, for, for kids coming out of seminary are very ill-equipped to deal with addictions, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they come out <clears throat> being able to, to parse and to exegete and, <laughs> and uh, you, you know, they'll remember for some time they're Greek and Hebrew exactly. for a while, <laughs> you know, but, it, you know, when, when someone who's an addict walks in the office or you're dealing with a mom and dad with, you know, with a kid that's addicted to alcohol or meth or whatever it might be, ill-equipped, mm-hmm. really, to deal with that, and and if we can partner together, so much uh, so much the better. And and I like your approach. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about that earlier on that that you're not necessarily saying you yeah. the county is not necessarily coming in saying church this is the way you have to do it. But how can we partner with you? How how can we uh, work together to help this person? Right? Well, you know, I I think whether. <coughs> I mean, I, I think the facts of the matter is, is that, um, and especially in our county, a, a large amount of our population, a large number of our population go to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. go to church every Wednesday. Um, also, you know, of the, of the 12 to 15,000 people we see a year, a large percentage of those folks are going to church. Um, and it makes sense that um, the faith-based community um, understands what it means when someone comes through our, our treatment system, our treatment programs, and not necessarily, um, you know, as a county agency going in and talking to folks about what you should or should not do. Right. It's just informing people of, of what mental illness is, of what depression is, of, of suicidal um, idolization, um, those types of issues, so that the church can, can look at their strengths. The church can look at their capabilities mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, well, with this understanding of, of what mental illness is, of what addiction is, of what suicide is, um, what could we do as a church to um, – to help those folks in our church. Um, what can we become better at? You know, I, I've talked to pastors and, you know, they've said, you know, yeah, you know, we've talked to them about depression and said, you know, I, I you know five, six cases right now where my wife personally is involved in that. And, you know, we would love to, to, to learn a little bit about what depression is. And, and again, it's, it's, it's understanding that, um, the church has its strengths. The church has its ability to support folks through those types of issues. And um, we would just want to make sure that they understand what, what the illness is. And, and then, again, you know, have them, you know, analyze their strengths, their yes. capabilities, and say, hey, these are the talents and, of, of our church. And 
um, and what we feel we could do to support these folks. And Absolutely. I think that's that's I think that's a, a good starting point. I think that's a good starting point for for that type of relationship building. I think so too. And Ruben, you said something earlier that I think should just startle us as as parents and as grandparents. You talked about the kids being at such a young age and being addicted to alcohol. And I would say this starts at a very young age, but, you know, this doesn't happen overnight. Something's going on for a long time in the family structure. This is building. Well, you know, (laughs) I'm going to switch over from from the broader mental health stuff that we have talked about earlier to specifically about prevention because, again, um, in our community this is a concern. Um, we have statistics through the California Health the Kids surveys where this is a survey that's done every two years in our high schools. And what we found out, there is a um, one in four of our young people in the last 30 days have drank five or more drinks of alcohol. So that's binge drinking. That, that's not, you know, a, a kid just one beer or something. You know, that's these kids drinking five or more drinks. Um, this is the very dangerous type drinking. This is the, the drinking where you're incoherent. You, you lose your ability to make the right decision and judgments. Um, you know, already youth at that age, you know, 15, 16, 17, already have enough um, challenges making the right choices and, 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 and really understanding the consequences of their action. You introduce alcohol, and you introduce alcohol at five drinks. Um, you know, your, your, our youth are in, a, are in a very precarious situation. I want to ask one more statistic. 48% have drank at least one cup of alcohol in the last 30 days. That's, that's half of our high school population have drank alcohol in the last 30 days. Now, let me, this is the most startling statistic because the way these questions are, a, are asked sometimes um, may be a little bit misleading. Think about it. Um, 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, they're not um, winding down after a hard day at school yeah. with a with a Budweiser in the backyard over some carne asada. You know, when kids drink, they drink to get drunk. So when they're saying, you know what, we drank at least one cup of beer, where where you know these are forty percent, fifty percent of our kids that it says we we got drunk in the last thirty days. Now you know, especially I, I always when I talk to the folks out in the faith based community in the church and things like that, and they're always wow, you know, well our kids are different and our youth are different. And I said, well, you know, well, I'm not here to say that your kids are drinking or not, but this is the world that you send your kids into every single day. These are the challenges that they're facing. These are the pressures and the circumstances that they're in every single day of their mm-hmm. life during their school year. Half their half their schoolmates statistically are drinking. One in one out of every four of their friends are are binge drinking in the last thirty days. And as parents and as churches and as youth pastors and youth groups, if we don't really understand the prevalence of these problems and what we can do to specifically help them in the the areas of alcohol and drug um, resistance, um, equipping them in that manner, then I I, I think that, 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 you know, we sometimes, uh, I, I, we may at times be failing some of these young people to properly de- equip them to, because this is a very real pressure. You know, gangs and, and, and murder Absolutely. and all these other oh, things, yes, these are very, yes, yes. very, very big problems. But to the rates and to the influence on the everyday level that our youth are experiencing when it comes to alcohol and substance abuse, these are very real issues for them on, on an everyday level. So, And it's well, a very I'm, timely one, too. Speak to the because we're right at graduation time right now. That's right. Uh, let's talk about graduation parties. Right now, a lot of people are concerned, let, you know, let's, let's graduate sober, sober graduation parties, Ruben, and, you know, uh, how are we going to, fi- to fill the, the summertime activities? And I know that we're thinking about that here locally. 
locally, but this broadcast goes out, you know, across the, the miles and, and across <laughs> the globe as, as parents, as citizens, and, you know, we ought to be uh, concerned about these things, and, and certainly it's a timely thing. Uh, well, well, first of all, just, just the way you talk about sober grad, and, and I, I'm not here to knock any sober grad program, but no. just by by that, in, by just sometimes by that 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 saying something like this as well, and I'm not, you know, it's pretty much said along the lines sober grad, sober grad, but that means that that any, you know, there's drunk grad, and that's the sober grad is the only alternative, you know, all the other. But, you know, but the it is a reality, we though. Talking about at the weed and seed that exactly. parents are going to be held responsible. Exactly. For these parties that are taking place. But but it is the reality of the facts, and I, that's what I was going to bring up. Okay. That you know we say sober grad because we have to say sober grad because the the attitude and the prevalence of this of this um, the attitude and the perception of these parents is that you know what it's eighteen it's graduation time graduation is about alcohol and it's a mm. shame times it's mm. a shame sometimes that we have to make that distinction that this is a sober grad event. That this is a sober grad. And you want to make it a lifestyle. And because, you know, it's unfortunate because many parents in our community have chosen and have made the decision that providing alcohol to minors, especially around graduation season time, is is, is okay. It's just not okay. Well, you know, it's it's interesting in our county, um, and it's it's very encouraging that um, eight of our eight out of our nine cities have taken some very substantive action in terms of dealing with um, the social hosting with um, providing alcohol to minors in the home and um, they've done this by passing what what is known what is commonly known as a social host ordinance and in short without going into a lot of detail social host ordinances is an ordinance within a community that says if you host an underage drinking party in your home that you will be responsible for a $500 to a $1500 fine not only will you be responsible for that fine but you'll be responsible for the hourly wage of every law enforcement and emergency um, response personnel that is called out to the party to disperse it and to make sure every one of those kids go home, you're going to be responsible for the hourly wage of that person, that officer, while they're there um, to make sure that those kids go home. So if you host an underage drinking party in eight out of the nine cities within Stanislaus County, and I think all but Houston has passed it, and Houston has it on their agenda, I believe, and it's just a matter of time, but um, if you if you host an underage drinking party this graduation season here in our county and law enforcement shows up, they now have this tool uh, where you will be responsible for a $500 fine. And there are some cities, um, I think Syria and Turlock took a little bit more of an aggressive stance, and wow. and they're looking at you know actually following up with charges and misdemeanors. So their their fines have have kind of been um, put aside, but you know they're they're taking a different approach. But but nonetheless, um, um, all our communities have took this substantive effort to say, hey, you know what, hosting a party in our city is not acceptable, and there will be a fine, and and this is something that's going to happen. Um, the reason why um, some of these ordinances need to be passed is because often with with um, you know we always say well we have all these laws already contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Well, to to actually get get that through court is is a big process. You actually have to see the officer would actually have to see the adult hand the alcohol to the minor, and then the minor consume it, uh-huh. and and that officer would have to go to court and, and and say that, or they would have to have a witness that saw it and then would make a citizen's arrest, and then follow up that at court. So you can see the difficulty in that, and and you know getting that type of case. Um, through through the court system, um, social host ordinances are public nuisance 
um, um, issues, um, the way they're passed, and it's it's handled just like a parking ticket, like a public nuisance ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, when it becomes a public nuisance, um, when it comes to the degree that you know you have 10, 15, 20 cars outside, and every all these teenagers walking in and out of the house with red cups, um, you know that's where where social host ordinance comes in. You know they're not going after the the mom and the dads in the backyards and the um, you know I had a, I was on a radio show two weeks ago and someone called me and says, well if I want to have a, a, a alcoholic beverage with my 19 year old who just come back from the Iraq War, um, you know if I want to have a beer with him in the backyard, you guys are coming after my rights and blah blah blah. I said well you know you know it's it's not right. I don't condone it. Um, but nonetheless, you know that's not where this ordinance is focused on. It's mm-hmm. focused on going after these big underage drinking parties where in our county in the last year we have had young young people die because of alcohol mm-hmm. overdose um, and it's it's unfortunate we have people have young kids that have rolled over their vehicles and killed themselves so oh goodness, um, yes. underage drinking in our county is is, is, a, is, a, is a major problem I know there's a lot of other problems at times that just that that are there with gangs and 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 you know a lot of these other issues but when you look at in terms of um, statistically alcohol kills more more of our young people than than dru- than all other drugs combined. So, it really so um, it's it's something that that community should pay attention to. Absolutely, and we really have to address it, don't we? You bet. Well, a group that just really seems to have uh, their fingers on the pulse of things, Casting Crowns, is going to sing this very poignant song entitled "Slow Fade," and we'll be back with Ruben right after this on Lighthouse Live. pulls the strings Be careful little feet where you go For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow It's a slow thing when you give yourself away It's a slow thing when black and white turn to gray Choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow.
Casting crowns and slow fade on Lighthouse Live. I'll tell you what, if any group can sing a song and just get right to the core of an issue, it is casting crowns. You know, they're, they're, I mean, talk about some spirit-directed mm-hmm. stuff. They, I, they just have a knack don't for they? mailing. Don't they? Absolutely. Pastor Mike and Elaine with Reuben Imperial this week and talking about some real uh, core issues and tough stuff. And, and Reuben, we just appreciate your time and appreciate all that you are doing in our community. Community. And, of course, this is going out to many communities in our world uh, as we speak and, and as people download this into their iPods and, mm-hmm. and so forth. We just appreciate all that you are doing, uh, going out and speaking uh, at the schools and to uh, other agencies and, and uh, organizations as well, not only to gang violence and alcohol and, and drug abuse, but to all sorts of things, and just appreciate that. And you said before we went into the song that you wanted, or after we went into the song, that you wanted to address some other things as well. So well, go ahead. Know, and I, I think um, in the previous segment we talked about a little bit what communities were doing to pass social host ordinance and, and how they've taken the stand. And, and in terms of, of what communities can do and what the faith-based community can do in terms of uh, underage drinking prevention and um, some of the issues that our young people are facing within their community. First and foremost, I think it's um, especially within the within the church within the churches. Um, there's a lot that that youth pastors and pastors can do to to educate um, their congregations. And um, we've in this job, we've, we've I've had the the fortunate experience of being able to talk to to hundreds of young people, hundreds of parents about these types of issues and. Again, you know, you always run into to them, and they just so happen to be part of a church somewhere. And but they still share the same co- the mm. concerns as any other community member that that you know, well, you know, I I know my kid may be drinking alcohol, or but I I don't really know how quite to approach them, or you know, I I, I don't think they're drinking, but I, maybe they're friends, or um, you know, they're going out on the weekends and they're coming back, and you know, I'm not too sure on how to deal with the issue. And then you know, you also talk to young people, and um. You know, we had a, a community forum of about, um, for the last couple of years, we've gotten a, a couple of hundred young people together and talked to them about alcohol and talked to them about what, what, what are the, what can be done. And, you know, they bring up church is a, is a major part of, of any, should be part of any major effort uh, in terms to prevent underage drinking because they say this is where they, they interact with other youth and this is where they get spiritual guidance and, 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 and um, uh, Bible studies and, and lessons on, on life and how to deal with life. So, um, I, I think in terms of the underage drinking issue, especially, um, for our young, for our younger group, first and foremost, I think they could talk to them about resistance skills. You know, I was out at the city ministry. 
Ministry Network speaking the other day, and I talked to them about, you know, it, it would be ideal if all our young people in our churches can just walk out on, on, the, on the church campus or on the school campus or in the, in the weekend at a, at a situation, and in every situation have their faith at a level where they can just say no. Um, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. Or I'm, for whatever reasons, you know, my values, my standards are where I don't drink alcohol. But, you know, at times their, their faith is not going to be that strong. And, and sometimes the absolute no is not going to be the best solution. But maybe we could work with them on, um, you know, excusing their way out of it or finding another reason to, to, to not drink that day or, you know, kind of giving them the skills to, you know, to think about it, you know, and it, and it, and it makes sense. I, I heard in a youth pastor training one time about um, it, it's too late for a young person uh, to decide about what they're going to do about drinking or sex um, within that second or that minute. They've got to have uh, an understanding of how they're going to react beforehand. Yeah, you know, they got to have some preparation beforehand. So, you know, um, skill, um, 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 role, role, role playing. Um, you know, uh, Some modeling, and modeling, um, being very specific about it and, and working with young people and saying, hey, you're going to be offered drugs. You're going to be offered alcohol one day. Um, at that moment, it's going to be too late if you don't have a plan and a strategy to get out of it. And sometimes that plan and strategy, um, you know, for that young person, it's going to be, you know what, um, based on my Christian values and faith, I say no. But sometimes their faith is not going to be that strong. They're going to have to find another way to excuse them way out of it. And, um, you know, those are the things that I think that youth pastors can do. I think parents, um, in terms of, I mean, I think churches in general, pastors and uh, adult ministry pastors can talk to their parents about how to work with their young people in terms of um, equipping them along that lines as well. Um, parent skills, resistance skills, you know, a, a, lar a large, especially in some of these large churches, they have a few hundred people joining their church a year. And um, some of them have, have come from lifestyles where, you know, they don't they they don't know how to correctly talk to their kids about alcohol and substance abuse. And maybe they've modeled 10, 15 years of alcohol and substance abuse dependence for their children. And now their children are in high school and, and they're going to church and they've made some decisions of, um, to, to move away from that lifestyle. But now they've got to, you know, talk to their kid about um, underage drinking. Um, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day that or I heard in a conference the other day about a, a young man who uh, his dad um, for you know, 30 years was a drug addict and an um, alcoholic. And, um, you know, this young man, uh, his dad started going to church and getting Bible studies and turned his life around. And the kid was 17, 16 years old. So he started doing what he had been trained his whole life to do, drink and, and use alcohol. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the dad got upset one day about him coming home from a party and never talked to him about it, though, about alcohol and drugs. And the kid went out and got drunk, came home. And, um, you know, dad got very, very, very upset and um, yelled at him, kicked him out of the house, and so on and so forth. And, you know, the, the, the father, after, you know, praying and going to Bible study and, and talking to people who could help him about it, realized that, you know what, well, this is just behavior I've patterned for 30 years, and just because I turned my life around um, doesn't mean that I, I, have, I, I can't ignore this issue no longer. I've got to talk to my kid about this. I've got to tell them, you know, and, and properly inform and educate them about these issues. So I think, you know, um, adult ministries and church and pastors can, can incorporate those types of messages into their Bible studies and equipping parents to, to take the proper action. Um, in dealing with alcohol and substance abuse and, and depending on their lifestyles, depending on where they are with their faith and um, so a variety of issues so that when they're talking about with young people about their um, underage drinking and substance abuse, that the conversation is productive. Um, you know, the conversation goes in the right direction and our young people are um, are, are um, equipped and, and um, reinforced in the right choices in their life. So, you know, one of the challenges that, that we found is that parents who have been through addictions and who at that age were drinking, were taking drugs, et cetera, are embarrassed or feel it's hypocritical 
Uh, I, I am disqualified to talk to my child because I have this problem. And who am I mm-hmm. to talk to them because I did it? And really, that's the enemy doing this thing. Yeah. You know, that, that dialogue has to occur. And unfortunately today, Reuben, right fairly early on in life, right? Yeah. You know, and, and I, I wouldn't, you know, sit up here and, and would want to just cast a broad net and a broad statement of what mm-hmm. parents should do in that situation. But that's a perfect that's a perfect situation where a church could get together a group of parents that are concerned about it and talk amongst them um, um, in, in their group and say, hey, you know, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm facing. What, what did you do? Or there's a, a parent that, that maybe has modeled that already and has already gone through that. Why, why couldn't they start a small group on uh, how to talk to your kids about alcohol if you've abused alcohol for the last 30 years? And I was you know? just going to say, isn't that where the support groups come in, exactly. Ruben, where you can can talk with others who have been through that, who have been there and done that, as we say. And, you know, it's it. You know, I, I, I hear, you know, the churches talk about, you know, I've, I've talked to a variety of pastors and they've talked to me about, well, you know, these are issues that we're not, you know, really aware with and familiar with. And, and there's some that unfamiliarity. I mean, you know, I, I can escajit and I know the Greek and the Hebrew. I know all this other stuff. And those are very vital mm-hmm. tools that I know ministries need to properly, um, you know, build the faith of their church. But, um, you know, these are very real issues in our community. And, and they are at higher rates that, than we have seen in, in previous times. And um, people go, when they have alcohol and substance abuse problems, they go to a couple of places. They go to the down of the local treatment center. Or they go um, to the they go down to the local county treatment center, or they go to church. So it, it, I think it, it 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 makes sense that our faith based community understands these issues to the point where they're able they're they're able to effectively equip those those um, those members within their congregation that are dealing with these problems. And I think the other the other side of that is that oftentimes the church itself and, and globally is in denial. Uh, the <laughs> The, the problem is just as Ruben's choking on his water there. What I <laughs> he just said, lost well, it. You know, and I'll say, I'll say it because because you may not want to, but you know the the problem inside the church is just as radical as it is outside the church, and and we need to just address that and be open about it, and uh, from especially from a pastoral side to say, you know what, this is a safe place where we can bring this stuff up. And uh, we're not going to look at you like you have, you know, spiritual cooties or something. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're going to help here. We're going to get together and, and see if we can combat this. He's killing me. Our special guest is Reuben Imperial, and we'll be back with him right after this. <laughs> Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39, to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about ABC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet. 
within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. ABC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and ABC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. AVC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. Well, it works. And I, I, I believe that as in our companies, as being uh, formerly a businessman in, in, in Stanislaus County and, and uh, other counties in the state as, as, as well, that uh, our companies were only as, as successful as our weakest link. And I believe that to be the same case in our communities and in our cities, that we can only be as much as we're going to be based upon the capacity and the ability of others to participate at an increased level and quality of, of life. You know, some of us can do, donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them, and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work. And I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing vibrant communities, faith in action, pure, simple, proven effective, carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live, Pastor Mike Elaine, and our very special guest tonight, Reuben Imperial. Reuben, it's so good to have you back, and uh, I tell you, the work that you're doing there is very good, getting the word out to the community, and a very good thing, not only to the community, but uh, to the uh, body of Christ as well, to the churches, and how can we help to uh, just solidify that message even more? I, wanna, I wanted to follow up with my last comments about how, you know, working with young people in um about on resistance skills, on working with parents on um, those types of skills that are needed specifically around alcohol and drug. And, you know, most churches are already dealing uh, in some way or another or helping parents 
with young people. And um, most churches already are already working with young people um, around those types of resistance skills and skill building. Um, and it's, I think it's just important that they, they could incorporate the alcohol and drug issues um, within that that ministry um, already. You know, it's it's um, sometimes though they may see the need to to develop something very special. You know, something that's very specific around that type of issue. But for the most part, you know, I think it, it would be to the advantage of those that they're serving in their church to um to incorporate those types of messages. Um, we do get a lot of those questions, and we do see that within the community that people want to deal with it um, at a parental level. But um, you know, they just lack the the skills and the confidence and the ability, like you just mentioned. Uh, you know, I, I've been using alcohol all my life, and, and now I'm going to be a little bit more, a little bit hypocritical here in dealing with this. And, you know, that, that shouldn't be a barrier mm. to um, talking to our young people about that type of issue, specifically alcohol and drug. And um, I just wanted to, to throw it out that, you know, we're, we're willing as a county agency to work with the faith-based community and any church that's, that wants to, to, to do anything um, within their church like that. We'd be more than willing to go out and, and provide some expertise and some information on that. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's just um, informing them so they can take that type of information and uh, um, present it in a way that they think best fits for their congregation. Um, I, I um, the other day, um, sent over um, all, the, uh, all the underage drinking alcohol statistics for our county um, to one particular youth pastor, and um, mm. he incorporated it in his sermon, and he, awesome. he, he, told, his, he told his congregation, um, this is um, alcohol is um, underage drinking and, and substance abuse is a real issue in our community. Here's the statistics from the county. Um, and then he came in with his own message of how his church and how we can, how they can do something about it. So, you know, yeah. that's the idea is that we'd be able to build the capacity of these pastors and youth pastors to present some very meaningful information. You know, mm-hmm. some of these pastors are, are, are really um, keen on, on applying applicable messages. Um, you can get more any, any more applicable than, um, you know, one in, tw- one in four of your, of your young people's um, friends are binge drinking and more than half of them have drank alcohol in the last 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very yes. applicable information for a Absolutely. pastor to bring to the pulpit, I think. So, Well, and I think one of the dynamics here, Reuben, is, and, and we've mentioned this before, Elaine, mm-hmm. and almost every program this crops up, it seems like there is an open door right now for partnerships between government and the faith-based community. And, you know, although we see, you know, some people getting all upset about the separation of church and state, when it comes down to the trenches, where we're just trying to improve our community. It seems like, at least here in, in the Central Valley, especially in Stanislaw County, there's a willingness of government to partner with the faith-based community, and we need each other, don't we, in order to accomplish that? Oh, yes. No, and I mean, like I, I mentioned before, um, the faith-based community is part of the community. That's in exactly County. it, and I was <laughs> going to say yeah, that. It's a, very large, it's a very large community We don't well. want the church staying inside the building. We exactly. are out Amen. into the community. And the faith-based exactly and the church right. community is, is a big part of it. Um, and it makes sense that, that we have some understanding of, of how each other works and, mm-hmm. and how we work with people, especially around the issues of mental health mm-hmm. and alcohol yes. and drug. I, I think yes. um, the people we serve, I think our community um, would would greatly benefit from from both of these um, parts of our community talking more and and understanding more and um, you know um, you know trying to understand the issues in a way that we both um, work from our strengths and 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 work with the people that 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 we deal with every day. So you know, I, I'm sure we're whetting some appetites out there, Ruben. How can people <laughs> how can people get a hold of yes. you and, and and start that dialogue? Well, um, they, they can, first of all, co- contact me at, at the office, and um, the, the number for that is 525-6201. Um, that's that's our, uh, area code 209 Yes, area 525. code 209-525-6201. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's that's the best way to get a hold of me right now. And also, you can go to a um, give you a couple of websites. We have our okay. county website, which is www.stancounty.com forward slash bhrs. It's the acronym for Behavioral Health and Recovery Service. Again, that's stancounty.com forward slash BHRS. We also have another website, which is our alcohol and drug prevention website. Mm. And that website is a little bit easier to, to remember. It's crowdproject.org. All right. Crowdproject.org. And, and the reason why the Crowd Project name is uh, we had a group of youth that came up with that name. They've, um, you always hear the, the term uh, don't follow the crowd mm. um, because the crowd <laughs> is, is, you know, whatever. Um, well, unfortunately, in our county, yeah, the crowd is sometimes does, does, does not make the wisest choice. So what we're trying to do is turn the crowd into the majority of those that are making the right, right yeah, decisions man. about alcohol cool. and drugs. So yes. um, it's an easy website to remember, thecrowdproject.org, and hopefully in the next couple of years we'd be able to come back and say, you know, the majority of our young people now are, um, are making the right choices in terms oh, of alcohol. Yes. And I, I want to I caveat all that I've said here with, with this, that – um, you know, a large percentage of our of our young people are making the right choices of, of alcohol and drugs in their lives. And, and, you know, statistically, half of them are making the right choices, mm-hmm. making the right stands. Um, they are making the, the right decisions every single day of their lives. And that's the idea where um, we can learn from those young people. And those things within that, those young, those young person's lives that are, that are helping them and, and supporting them and making the right decisions, um, it behooves all of us, it, from faith-based community to government, to really look at those things within those communities and within those young people's lives that are helping them make the right choices. So, um, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. It's, it's not all our young people are, are heading down the wrong road. There's a large percentage of them out there that we should be proud of mm-hmm. and that we should support it in every Amen. way. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, that's the message I always like to leave with people as well. Is it's it's unfortunately though we we have some problems but you know there there's a lot of them out there that are making the right choices and, and helping we have a a young group in our community called the Meth um, Action Team it's a group of about 20 young people in our community high school students that are organized and taking on the meth issue in their county All we have right. a, a group out in Riverbank High School step by step. Um, dedicated to reaching the Spanish-speaking community in their neighborhood with alcohol and underage drinking um, prevention messages. So there's a variety of young people in our county that are already um, taking on the issues and doing the right things. And uh, I'd like to leave leave with that positive note, that there are those young people out there doing and great, great things. prayer for all of them, right? You bet. And congratulations to you, Ruben, once again. And thank you for being our special guest tonight. Thank you for inviting me in at any time. Just a reminder, friends, you can contact Ruben Imperial at area code 209-525-6201 or stancounty.com backslash BHRS and uh, also crowdproject.org. Thank you, dear friends, for listening wherever you are, for sharing a piece of your time with us here on Lighthouse Live. Join us next week when Dr. Jim Henman joins us. And don't forget to read The Shack. We'll be back with you again next week. May God continue to bless you.